Welcome to this podcast from Field Partner International. We are an online community and resource for Christian missionaries working across cultures. You can visit our website, fieldpartner.org, which features free video courses, blogs, podcasts, sermons, and more. Subscribe to this channel, our YouTube channel, or Facebook page to stay updated on our latest resources. Thank you for joining us again for another of these interviews. By now, we have collected quite a few in a library on our website, so you can find those if you go to www.fieldpartner.org. Today, I have another treat in store. I'll be speaking with a lovely man called Michael Prest, and um, I really look forward to sharing his story with you on this interview. So I met Michael um, after my brother had heard him speak at a church and um, suggested that I got in touch with him because my brother felt that we would get on well and that we have, would see a lot of things in common. So I did that. I went and joined him at his um, uh, the Center for UFM. That, that's his organization at, at, of which he's the director. And uh, we had a, about an hour together on the way to, I was on my way to Cheltenham to my own sender, sending church. So um, at that point, I said, would he mind, would he be willing to do an interview with me? And he said he would. And um, then we also have um, our, our partners together. So you can find um, more about UFM if you go to the, under the partners tab on the website. Okay, so Michael, welcome and thank you for, for doing this with me today. Yeah, thanks, Christine. Lovely to be with you. Very nice to be with you. Thank you. Good. Okay, so we always start these interviews with a question about origins. Mm -hmm. um, where are you from originally? Um, how did you come to faith? Yeah. Um, how did, what kind of work were you trained in and all that? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I grew up in a town called Darlington, uh, northeast England. Any you know the history that we're famous for being the, the the town with the first passenger railway in the world some people joke it's because everyone wanted to leave the town but i like to think people wanted to come i will see you can make your own mind up if you go there one day uh, so i grew up there till i was 18 and um, had the the joy of being in a home with christian parents um, they've both been saved my my parents in their teenage years and um yeah my, me and my brother were brought up going along to church um yeah, I became a Christian, um, well, I think I became sure of my faith at the age of 17, I would say. Um, I'd, um, I'd never doubted God's existence, but I think I, I was at a stage where I yeah, hadn't fully understood the reality of the gospel, the wonder of the gospel, the, the reality that it's not about just uh, keeping, a, keeping our nose clean and, and trying to be a good boy, but uh, the need we have for forgiveness, which is found in Christ alone. And so I had the, the privilege of going along to a youth group in my sixth form college days, it was a youth group linked to an organisation called Beach Missions, which had another big, big influence on me yeah. in my early Christian years. Um, so during that time, I went along to the youth group, met many young people of a similar age and at a similar stage and realised they had something very different to me. Uh, it wasn't just about going along each Sunday and doing the right thing. And I saw they had a, particularly they had a, a heart to reach out to their friends with the good news of Jesus. And that struck me as being surprising. I think I did most of what I could in my secondary school days to yeah not not talk too much about being part of church and all that kind of thing and uh, yeah during that time yeah, I got opened my heart and I uh, came to faith in Jesus was baptized at the age of 17 and then headed off to university um I guess that was a, a, te a testing time for my faith yeah in God's goodness we were part of a wonderful church at that time and uh, a church called Beeston Free Church in Nottingham mm -hmm. um and uh yeah 
the pastors there, different pastors at different times, wonderfully helpful in discipling and uh, teaching, lots of opportunities to serve. And um, yeah, I guess it was during during the, the years at Beeston Free that, yeah, all sorts of influences were brought to bear in our, our lives. And um, a journey began, I think, into longer term mission service. Yeah, I think if you'd said to me when I finished university, oh, Michael, you'll spend your life being involved in world mission. I would have been quite disappointed if I'm honest. Um, not not because not because I thought world mission was a bad thing. Obviously, I thought it was a very noble thing to get involved in, but it seemed a bit unique and it perhaps a little bit odd almost that mm. it was for certain people with a certain kind of character, and that wasn't me. And uh, I was looking forward to just going going into career. I was working with Boots. I trained in pharmacy. Oh. different management jobs with boots i enjoyed that it's good to have christians in the workplace of course right. and, uh, but yeah god began to change that o- over time excellent so you you were you mentioned we just now so was that you were already married by then no i wasn't actually as with it's the um looking back i was still single at that stage but i was married in 2006 to rachel and okay. i got four children um so we met uh, rachel we both studied at nottingham university but rachel a few years after me but we met through the church there in mm-hmm. and uh, I guess as yes, we got to know each other we had yeah we realized we had a shared heart for mission at that stage I think the first few years I alluded to there when I just graduated and was starting working life no particular heart heart for personal involvement in serving overseas at that stage but cut a long story short I ended up going to in, into Indonesia for a year um 2000 wow. 2001 um, opportunity came up I'd done a reference for one of the students in our student group in church um, uh, they were going to Japan for a summer team and had to, to fill out on the ref- reference form what my occupation was. And uh, out of the blue, I was contacted by this agency saying, uh, would you think about going to Indonesia for a year? We're looking for a pharmacist. He's done some youth work. Yeah. Prayed about it, talked to church, off I went. And uh, yeah, it was an eye-opening year, I'd say. Um, mm-hmm. God taught me lots of things during that time. Um, quite a lonely year at times. Just went on my own, was linked to another... Uh, mission family but in a big big asian city and um, i think god used the year to open my eyes to some of the uh, spiritual and and physical realities i suppose of of life in certain parts of the majority world and i came back from the year uh, thinking as a christian I, I need to be willing to go anywhere if god calls me and at that particular point i probably wasn't if i'm honest um and over a period of two or three years after that, and praying it through, talking to leaders at church, uh, God changed my heart on that. And uh, particularly another short-term trip, I had an opportunity to go to Thailand for three months. Um, and I'd been to Thailand about a year before with my work with Boots, and it was all very nice, you know, the nice hotels and all that kind of stuff, nice nice business world. And you kind of feel quite important as a young man, and no, no one else is bothered, but I, I was quite impressed with myself. And... Uh, Went back to Thailand for this short-term mission trip about a year later and in a small town in central Thailand, a um, place most people wouldn't have gone to necessarily on the tourist trail, but um, was helping with a Bible study for two uh, Buddhist Thai students um, and just struck me in that in that moment, wow, this, this is something worth investing in if we really believe what we do about uh, yeah. the good news of Jesus. And uh, in a sense, maybe that confirmed this sense of God laying it on my heart. And it was a, a call into mission that was affirmed by the, the church, really important. I guess we'll come to that later, the place of the church. And, right. and then soon after that, yeah, Rachel and I got together and we were married and and then began to prepare to head to, 
Southeast Asia again. Uh, and she already had that same heart, did she? Or did she mm. have to sort of catch up quick because you were heading that way? Yeah, she'd had a heart for mission for a long time. Yeah, she since her teenagers, really, she, she trained to be a doctor uh, at university and also had a heart for medical mission and wondered if that might be something she'd be involved in into the future. And um, so, yeah, we had that shared heart as we uh, got together and entered married life and headed off to Bible college with a view then to heading into world mission work. Yeah. So where did you go for Bible college? Uh, I went to a college called Oak Hill College in North London. Uh, we studied a, a course called uh, Theology and World Missions. Uh, it was a great time, yeah, a really good time of learning and being involved in a local church down there in London as well during that time, uh, as well as going to a, an Indonesian fellowship that met every month in London just to um, yeah, meet some Indonesian believers as well. Um, so yeah, we really appreciated our time at college and then headed back to Beeston, ended up staying there longer than we thought, being part of the staff team before finally being sent. Yeah. Okay, so how, what was the process for getting ready to be sent then at, by then? Because you'd already yeah. had some exposure. That's right, yeah. So the church were very, very active in, in their support of us. So before going to college, the plan was that they put in place was to do a year working at church, two years at Barber College, then a year back at church to cement their relationship with the sending church. Um, that, that ended up changing to a period of about uh, two years before college and then three or four years when we got back from college. Um, and actually, yeah, in God's God's providence, obviously, he, he doesn't, no time's wasted. And we learned lots of things during those times about uh, church ministry, church leadership, which were really helpful for what followed. Um, so the other church were very intentional in preparing us and, and then supporting us as we left. Um, many people across the church, obviously praying, supporting financially, um, helping us think about people to connect with before we went with mission experience so we could learn from them. Uh, and then very, very active when we were overseas it's, itself. And uh, in terms of their engagement with us, their, their pastoral support for us and their, their prayer for us. Yeah. So you actually went um, with um, UFM, the group that you're now director of. <laughs> yeah. um, so what led you particularly to that group or was that one that the church was already linked with? Yeah. And how did it shape you being involved yeah. with that? Yeah, thanks. Rachel had done a, her medical elective with UFM. So that was our main connection before uh. we um, joined UFM. Um, I guess as we were looking for a mission agency, we particularly were, were thinking, okay, um, about a mission agency that would have a, a similar view and approach to, to World Mission. So both in terms of a, a definition of what mission's about, but then also secondly about the, the way in which the agency interacts with the sending church. Um, so we're really keen that there's a, 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 a kind of centrality of um, disciple making when it comes to a definition of mission that you know, we believe lives are changed as God's God's word is shared with people and as we love in actions and in truth we want to see lives transformed and churches started and um, uh, so that was really clear it seemed in UFM that that, that, that approach to what mission is mm-hmm. and then yeah that second area um, a real a real legacy in UFM of working closely with sending churches. Um, not just saying to churches, who have you got that we can have to do our projects as an organisation, but rather, um, who do you have in your churches that you've identified already that you would like to send? Mm. Um, to us, that was really, that that meshed really well with where we were at ourselves. Yeah. So, I mean, that leads on to um, another question, which was, I was so struck by the strapline on the website, mm-hmm. UFM Worldwide exists to support churches in making disciples, support churches 
in making yes. disciples of all nations. That's such an unusual emphasis for a sending agency. Mm. And um, that cross working cross-culturally starts for the local church. So mm. we would very much agree with that. But I wonder if you could just unpack it more, the emphasis that um, UFM has, mm. has there. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I guess... Um... Yeah, I guess over the years, perhaps in, in some agencies, there's been a danger that uh, agencies take on responsibilities and privileges that, that belong primarily to local churches. And there are all sorts of reasons why that's happened. You know, sometimes understandable reasons, maybe churches have, for different reasons, have been slow to, to mm. take up that responsibility and privilege. Um, but I guess, yeah, as we look at the, the teaching of the New Testament, we see lots of examples of churches sending people in mission and the kind of central place of the local church in, in identifying and training and sending and supporting workers for cross-cultural mission. You see that in all sorts of different churches across the New Testament. Um, mm. And I, I, I think that's such yeah. a... Examples, sorry. Uh, yeah, so I mean, for example, yeah. So I guess the classic example would be Acts 13. Okay. You see, you see yeah. Paul and Barnabas being set apart by the church. Uh, the Holy Spirit calls them into mission and the church send them. Don't just send them, but they... They receive them back at the end of their journey. Um, but it's not just the classic example of Acts 13. You know, we look at passages like Romans 15, famous for, you know, Paul talking about wanting to, to, to go to the regions beyond and to preach the gospel where Christ is not yet known. Yet in that same chapter, Romans 15, there's a huge emphasis on Paul's great desire that the church in Rome would, would send him on his way there. Mm. Um, and the idea that he, he wouldn't be able to continue to those regions beyond were it not humanly speaking for the support and encouragement and prayer of of local churches uh go to places like like three john and uh, there's that wonderful phrase about being sent in a in a manner worthy of the lord or in a manner that honors the lord and so you look at all those sorts of um uh, examples about the church ascending and i think as well when you think about what's what's the role of church leaders when it comes to identifying people who might be suitable for mission service um, I mean, it's a bit of a caricature, but sometimes in mission world, there's, there's a danger that um, someone keen about mission will will meet with a mission rep who they don't know very well, really. And um, you know, this wouldn't happen normally, but an extreme example, you know, well, the rep could reel out here. Here are five examples of places you could go and serve on our teams with our organization. Which one looks the best? And they get it all lined up. And then maybe the church is told at the end of the process. And uh, that seems really topsy-turvy to me that. Mm. Um, God has given church leaders as a gift to the church, Ephesians 4. And one of the things that they're, they're responsible for is to equip God's people for works of service. And um, so just in the sense that that's applicable in our home context, surely that's applicable also for yeah. identifying those who might be gifted for, for cross-cultural ministry. Mm -hmm. um, so there are a few a few uh, things to do with yeah the, the real, really central place of the local church in, in mission sending, I would say. Right. So, um, supposing someone does come to UFM and say, mm -hmm. I feel I, God wants me to work in such a country and I'd like to go with you, what would you say to them? Yeah, good question. Yeah. First question we ask, well, we'll ask more polite questions first, but the first main question we're trying to get to is, what does your church think about that? Um, again, not because we're trying to be difficult, but um, if the, if the answer is, Oh, I've not really talked to them or I'm not quite sure, then the next step really is for them to go back to their church. We'll be delighted to talk uh, to their church also with their church and hear, hear what's happening. You know, churches are all at very different places with this, aren't they? Some are really active, really on the front foot, 
Um, and we have people coming to us because their church has said, look, go and talk to UFM. And they do so with their blessing. Others are in churches where they perhaps not thought through mission sending so much. And so we do need then go to go back to the sending church and say, um, what do you think about these guys? Are you behind them as a church? Have they shown the, the character and the gifting of a cross-cultural work? So that's the first question we ask what their church thinks. If the church are right behind them and they're on board, um, I guess we'll be talking about all sorts of things, really. Yeah, the sense of God's leading in their life, um, the kinds of ministries that uh, God has laid on their hearts, perhaps particular peoples or places they're interested in. And again, people come at very different stages. Some might come and they're very clear about where they want to go, who they want to work with, and we'll seek to facilitate that with their church. Others are, are much earlier on in the process and are asking all sorts of questions about where where their particular gifts might be best put to use, where might there be opportunities, um, what kind of training might be helpful for the kinds of places and the kinds of ministries they're preparing for. And then similar conversations with the church themselves in terms of their own um, experience of sending, their, their capacity for sending and supporting, the questions they might have about the practicalities, the, the finances, pastoral support from a distance, uh, visits, debriefs, all that kind of stuff. Mm. So I guess it's quite a, we try and see it as a, a kind of tailored approach to the particular people and the particular church that we're working with. Well, so I imagine then for some people that could take quite a bit of time if, mm -hmm. if, you, if the general sense is this person is probably suitable, but they're not ready yet, they're not mature mm -hmm. enough, or they haven't had enough exposure. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, how do, you, how do you sort of walk people through the expectations that they might have of how long it could take? Yeah, it's a very good observation. I think that's true. For some people, it's a, it takes many years. I mean, in our own situation, I finished work with Boots in 2004, you know, with this strong sense that God was leading me into mission, affirmed by the church. And we didn't go to the beginning of 2013. And, I, you know, God, God and that's probably an extreme example. Uh, there's a lot of work God had to do on me, I'm sure. But that, that's the reality, isn't it? We, yeah. we balance that sense of urgency of the task, the urgency of the gospel need around the world, with also the reality that God's economy is different to ours, isn't it, in all sorts of ways. Mm. And without it being a cliche, you know, God, God is much more interested in what he's doing in our lives, and in a sense, than what, what it is we ourselves are going to do in his service. And um, I think that's, that really describes a lot of our own experience of serving in, in mission overseas, really, even our, our time in Indonesia was much shorter than we anticipated. Uh, some health struggles in family life we hit. And as we look back on that time, I think we'd say that God taught us a whole lot more than we, we did, inverted commas, <laughs> on the ground. And so that was a humbling, a humbling process. And the same for the, you know, people preparing for mission at different stages, just gently sharing that reality that God will humble us along the way. He'll want to, to take us through different experiences to prepare us for what he's leading us to. Mm. And that's okay. Um, yeah. And do you ever have, well, I'd like to come back to that on the, yeah. the, your experience of, you know, a foreshortened time and the re-entry and all that kind of stuff. But yeah. um, first of all, do you ever have churches that are obstructive to this, who just simply don't want to know? Um, on the whole, I think we're finding churches yeah, churches increasingly want to pursue this kind of model, I would say. There's always, always one or two exceptions who, in a sense, would like to subcontract hmm. mission sending to an agency. And I yeah. guess as we talk, it becomes clear that that's not really our model. And that's fine, you know. Um, but increasingly, we're finding churches and church leaders, they do want to be more involved in 
in uh, mm. in the lives of those that they're sending. And we want to encourage that really and, and promote that. Um, and I think particularly the generation of church leaders coming through, we're seeing that sense that yes, this is a, a privilege and responsibility that we want to take seriously as churches. Mm. And that whenever we see that, we're really delighted about that because we're, we're not in the business of trying to take people from churches to do our particular projects. Mm. We really want to help churches send people to, to flourish and to serve in the place that God has God has led them to and prepared them for. So, and do you have some people who actually stay in their own country but carry on working? Uh, you know, cross culturally. I mean, you know, yes, getting involved yes, in yes. here. Yeah, we've um, we've got about two hundred and twenty workers across UFM, and probably about twenty of them will be serving in their home culture. The majority of those in in the UK, um, mm-hmm. but involved in some kind of cross cultural ministry. Uh, so it could be reaching a particular ethnic minority, could be with international students or refugee ministry, asylum seeker ministry, could yeah. be in a, a ministry of, of training and equipping for cross-cultural ministry. Um, and I guess we see, don't we, huge changes in the demographics in the world church. Yeah. Uh, Five million people um, between 20, uh, sorry, 2000 and 2020 net who came into the UK from other parts of the world. So there are wonderful cross-cultural opportunities on our doorstep these days, and we want to uh, encourage people in those and encourage churches to take those at the same time recognizing that you know because of population growth in different parts of the world there are 1.5 billion more people not in the uk than there were 20 years ago mm-hmm. so i think sometimes we need to be careful there's a, quite a few cliches get get thrown around in church life in the uk things like you know the world has come to us and you want to say amen to that in one sense and you know we want to encourage cross-cultural ministry in the uk we're involved in ourselves and the same time that's not the end of the story part of the world has come to us in the way it wasn't here 30 years ago um, and yet there are many many more least reached people around the world that in places where the church is yet to be established and the need for those to be sent and serve cross-culturally uh, is is as pressing as ever they don't all need to come from the uk of course god's raising up mission mission partners from all around the world praise god yeah. uh, we see that in ufm there's about uh, 30 different nationalities in the ufm mission partner family now so coming back to your own journey then um mm-hmm. you had to come back sooner than you anticipated yeah and so how how did your your church help you through yeah. the entry yeah good i mean we were very fortunate our church was very very supportive indeed um it was a bit of a crushing time to be honest um we we had a lot of preparation time as i said before we've been involved in sending people um, ourselves, as when we were on the leadership team at the church, we'd, we'd seen the, the highs and lows of cross-cultural life, some of the shocks of, of uh, starting out and uh, the cult, cross-cultural pressures. About 18 months in, we took a brief trip back to the UK. And uh, as we reflected at that point, debriefing with church and with UFM, uh, relative to others we'd seen go before, we thought, well, it's been okay. It's been hard, but it's been okay. And uh, we went back again after that time, not, not anticipating any major hurdle, really. Um, but yeah, we hit some some various health struggles along the way, and uh, after three and a half years, we found ourselves back in the UK, and um, that was a I was going to say they were disappointments, not not a big enough word to describe how we felt at the time. It was a cr- kind of crushing time, I think. Mm. Um, so many questions about why, you know, why would the Lord lay a, a place and a people on our hearts? Why would He? bring us through such amount of preparation time, Bible college, time serving in church, multiple trips in advance, raising support, full-time one year of language study, uh, just beginning to see opportunities opening up and then then we're back. And 
so it was a time, I guess, of yeah, testing, a time of a lot of big time of reflection and um, discerning what God was doing, I guess, in our lives. And it wasn't some neat process along the way. There were times we didn't handle, well, I certainly didn't handle it well. Uh, I, um, I just longed to be back in the place we'd been sent to. And, um, but again, uh, during that kind of five, six month process, the church were very supportive, both the church family as a whole, very understanding and sympathetic. Um, and the church leadership also, particularly the pastor at the time, very, very helpful in terms of just being generous in his time to meet, to just to listen, to talk things over, to share things honestly along the way about what the future could hold. And, um, those were times that, yeah, looking back, they were really times of humbling, I would say, where I guess as, as I reflected for myself that perhaps placed too much emphasis on on what it was we might do. And I guess, you know, there's something right, isn't there, about having a, a gospel ambition. We want to do things for the Lord. That, that's a good thing. Uh, and then other things can get mixed up with that, can't they? Our hearts are always a bit mixed, aren't they? So and maybe I placed too much emphasis on on being in a particular place, doing a particular thing, and uh, forgetting, yeah, God, he's the Lord, and he works in our life in his way and his time. And, um, yeah, so that was a, it was a significant time for us. And then it was during that time, as we kind of drew to the end of that five or six months of really wrestling with, can we, can we get back or not? That um, we got to the point of being able to accept from God's hands that it was okay to stay. Um, and it took about, for me particularly, it took about six months. Yeah. Then, um, at what stage after that were you invited by UFM mm. to um, step into this role? That you're, that yeah, you're... yeah. I mean, this role was being advertised not long after we got back, actually, probably from the September. And uh, by the de- by, roughly by Christmas and December, we'd finally got to this place of being at peace about the future. And uh, I was aware of the role being advertised, but just couldn't. I couldn't think about doing anything at that point other than going back to Indonesia and um, again God God changed the heart over time so we got to January and we we were settled together about staying in the UK one or two people said to us well you, you should think about applying for that role and it got to the point where we as we looked into it then with more peaceful hearts about the future we began to be more excited about it and uh, yeah we, we prayed if it was God's will it would work out and so we entered the process of application along with other people and in god's goodness it it did work out and yeah we're grateful for the the fact we can remain connected both to ufm but also in the bigger picture into into world mission which is still very much on our hearts yeah so i'm sure over these years then you've been able to look back and see that actually all that preparation time and all the experience that you went through Mm. as you said earlier never wasted and you know mm. how many people have you you've been able to help through their disappointments and their struggles? That's right. That's right. I think so. I think God's helped us to see that we can just be honest about the things that have been hard, and mm. uh, that's the reality for everyone, isn't it? People have been through many worse things than we have, many many worse things. And I think that the time we had overseas, even though it wasn't what we anticipated, it did give us exposure to lots of things, so that we, we come hopefully with some kind of empathy for different things. You know, we've being through the process of packing up the house and saying goodbye, you know, for the kids to their grandmas and their grandpas. And we've been through the process of saying goodbye to our church family that we that we were part of for many, many years. We've, we've been through language study. We've been through the the, the, the highs and the lows and the challenges of, of working in cross-cultural teams. And 
uh, we've been through the re-entry process with all its, all its joys and challenges. And so in a sense that the kind of a long-term experience shrunk down in time and you know there's obviously things we haven't experienced because of that but we hopefully have some understanding at least of some of the things that the UFM guys are facing mm. yeah. yeah okay so I've been browsing through your website and um yeah. I was struck by the eyewitness program and I wondered if you could um, unpack that and on the website it describes it as a cross-cultural placement with training and mentoring to help you who I imagine is a, an individual discover and develop your gifts Yes. So how does that work then for feeding them back into their churches if they come with you? How long do these trips last? And yeah. do they get debriefed and all that kind of thing? Yeah, good. I think one of the things we'd love to see in short-term mission is a sense that churches are on the front foot, again, in identifying people who might be a, um, heading towards cross-cultural mission work. And churches intentionally sending people into short-term mission experience as part of that discernment process, both for the individual or the family and for the sending church. Uh, when we were in Indonesia, we kind of trialed something a bit like this with some people from our church in, in Beeston. We had a single guy came and then a newly married couple, uh, both for a semester each. Uh, and we were trying to replicate, to some extent, some of the ministry training programs that some churches offer for people exploring UK ministry, where they'll have exposure to uh, teaching the Bible, they'll be given training and mentoring, they'll be given some practical tasks to do around the church. We thought, well, can we replicate something of that where we were? but in a cross-cultural context. Mm. And then, then taking on this role, we thought, okay, can we provide the opportunity in, in more places? Uh, the reality is it's not really taken off yet. There's not been tons of people done it. We've had three people do it so far. We'd love to see more people do it. And again, the idea is presenting this as a, an opportunity for churches or a resource for churches to say, look, here are some long-term mission partners in these particular countries serving in different churches who've got the experience and the willingness and a desire to, to host people in that situation uh, to take them under their wing, to mentor them, disciple them, give opportunities to serve cross-culturally so that when they head back, then there's good feedback going back to the sending church. It's not just that there's a random short-term placement over here and that person goes off and back they come. But seeing short-term mission much more about learning and, and discerning more than doing a load of stuff. And I think sometimes in short-term mission, again, it's, it's maybe slightly back to front that the emphasis is on wow, go to this place for two weeks and do this amazing thing. Yeah, that's just not the reality. You can't, you can't really do that. You know, you don't know the language. You don't know anything about the culture of the place you're going to. And so seeing it primarily about learning and training. Um, yes, you'll do wonderful things while you're there, praise God. But um, this is, this is a, a year or two years as part of the ongoing process of preparing with your church for potentially a lot of longer term work. Mm -hmm. It sounds amazing. I mean, I, I love the concept. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> we think there's more potential. So we keep trying to encourage churches to, uh, to think about people in their congregation that they're hopefully they're praying for already and uh, that they might be able to use this as a, another step as they yeah, continue that discernment process together. Mm. So, um, I mean, you've touched on this before, but let's just imagine there's uh, somebody listening to this who feels that there's a nudge from the Lord on their lives to get involved cross-culturally. Yeah. Um, or even the other side, that's a leader of the, of the church mm. who feels, no, we really ought to be getting on with yeah. this. So how would you encourage both to, mm. to take the next steps? Yeah, good. I mean, for the church leaders, just to say, keep praying intentionally as a church that God would 
raise up and send out workers from our churches. I think it's a great aspiration for each church to want to be sending church themselves rather than churches saying, oh, we kind of feel a bit obliged to support some missionaries. So let's let's find some. You know, someone had a friend of a friend who used to go to another church and they know some missionaries. So we'll pray for them. I'm not saying that's wrong, but um, when when you have churches that themselves sending, then the relationship between the church family and those who've been sent, it, it's already in place. You don't need to encourage people to pray for their friends because they've spent the last you know 10 years living together and serving together so that's a key thing we'd encourage churches to do to try and be on the on the front foot when it comes to identifying people for mission praying for people i think in terms of people themselves yeah there's obviously the big your what does your church think question uh, that that prayerfulness recognizing the process could take longer than maybe they anticipate not necessarily we often say to people who've got a heart for cross-cultural mission in what ways can you keep it on the agenda because for most people, it's not on the agenda. And that's not, not a criticism. You know, God, God lays different things on our hearts. But So spending time with other people for whom thinking about cross-cultural ministry is just normal is a, is a really wonderful thing to encourage people to do. Could be going to mission conferences, speaking with uh, missionaries linked to their church or others that they know about, spending some time short-term uh, learning in different places. Um, they're the kinds of things we're talking about. And then I guess moving the conversation on as things develop, both with the church and the candidates. Okay, what what kind of things would be helpful to do now in preparation for what comes next? Mm. Uh, again, that depends on the, the particular place and the kind of ministry they're hoping to get involved in. So maybe they've done loads of youth work, but they need to do some work with other adults in the church. Or maybe they've only ever done work with retired people. They need to do some work with some young people, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and again, you, seeing that the, the training thing, not just about going to a college to do a particular course, but having that training and experience rooted also in the church uh, that they're going to be sent from. Mm. Yeah. Right. Well, our time is up, but I mm. just wanted to emphasize again how much we're on the same page. And yeah. uh, so I'm just going to share my screen. This is an infographic uh, of, our, of what we're calling a resource map. So it's, it's interactive. If this is the individual's journey, and this is the sender, sending church's journey, if you like. So at any stage, if someone feels that they're called, um, what do they need to do? There's a sort of pop-up that comes here. There's a, on, for the church to see what they, what they might be engaging with at that stage. And then it's, if you click on more, that'll take you to a, a, a back page where it's got things on for both to look at. Okay, so we've got those for the pre-field, the on-field, and the post-field stages. And um, the, the, the real desire is to help senders to understand that at every stage and sort of on steps throughout each stage, they need to be engaged and they need to be involved. So um, we'll, I'll be um, actually going to the UFM website to look for clips to put here because I think so much of what um, Michael has been talking about, they've already thought through, they've already done little bits of info that we could we could tap into. And, you know, apart from our own, it's just so that um, it, we can put it more on the map for, mm. for people. Um, so anyway, I just want to say thank you again, Michael. for Pleasure. And, yeah, I love the fact that um, from your own experience and from the people that you're involved with and from the experience of, of a really good sending church, you're mm. able to 
project for others a, a, a vision. So I wonder if you could just finish by um, talking about the other Lord's Prayer. Mm, yeah. The, the churches can do. Sure. Yeah, good. Yeah, I guess to talk about Matthew 9, 38, I guess, and just this real sense that, yeah, if we want, if we long to see more people raised up for, for mission service close to home or around the world, what's our what's our plan? What's our strategy? Again, in, in mission agency world, the great danger is we try and produce it ourselves and we come up with our glossy leaflets and promotional campaigns and emotive videos and all that kind of stuff. And don't get me wrong, there's a place for all of that, that in, in, when done correctly. But ultimately, yeah, we, we genuinely believe that Jesus teaches us, doesn't he, there? If we want to see more workers for cross-cultural mission, then we've got to be on our knees and pray that God would raise them up and send them out. So, I mean, that's what we try and do here at UFM each day. We try and pray that prayer. And it's always a joy when we see those prayers answered. And I just encourage you to keep praying it. Uh, he's the Lord of the harvest. And he's the one who raises up and sends out. And we have the great joy of, of uh, being a part of that. And uh, yeah, we, we hope many of you watching will know that joy as well. Great. Amen. Well, thank you so much, Michael. And um, thank you for listening. Hope that you will um, pass on the link to, to others to be able to watch it as well. Mm -hmm. Okay, once again, thank you very much. And thank, um, you. Thank, you all. thank you, Michael. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Field Partner. You can watch or listen to more interviews by subscribing to this channel, our YouTube channel, or our Facebook page. For free cross-cultural mission courses, blogs, sermons, and other resources, visit our website, fieldpartner.org.